Breathtaking new figures released by the global charity Oxfam shows that inequality has exploded to such historic heights that two-thirds, that's right, two-thirds of all wealth created around the world since 2020, since the beginning of the pandemic, has gone to the richest 1% of the population. The capitalist system continues to deepen the divide between the impoverished majority and a very, very, very tiny elite that lives in complete luxury. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy and the state of the working class. I'm your host, Brian Becker. This program, the Socialist Program, brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. Go there and become a subscriber today, patreon.com forward slash the socialist program help us continue providing this quality content richard wolf is the co-founder of the organization democracy at work he's the author of many books the latest being the sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com that's rdwolff.com professor wolf welcome back Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Thank you. Here we are, 2023. I said it was shocking. It was breathtaking. But in a way, not that shocking. And while breathtaking, not that surprising, because the accumulation of wealth at one pole, as Marx described it, goes along with, corresponds to a corresponding accumulation of misery at the other pole, an accumulation of poverty. I'm looking at CNBC headline, the richest 1% of people amassed almost two-thirds of new wealth created in the last two years, according to Oxfam. Since 2020, the richest 1% have accumulated close to two-thirds of all new wealth created around the world. I want to ask you when we get back to you here about what does it mean to create wealth. Over the last two years, the richest 1% have accumulated close to two-thirds of all wealth, a total of $42 trillion, a number that nobody can really wrap their head around, $42 trillion in new wealth has been created since 2020, with $26 trillion of the $42 trillion, or 63% of that being amassed by the top 1% of the very ultra-rich. The remaining 99% of the global population collected just $16 trillion of the new wealth, the global poverty charity says. A billionaire gained roughly $1.7 million for every $1 of new global wealth earned by a person in the bottom 90%, according to the report. Richard Wolf, this is capitalism. 
Yeah, and that and that's it. That is the point of all of this. We live in a system that does what you just say. I saw a couple of headlines, and I, I was pleased to see that the headlines got to the core of it, quoting that famous old remark, you know, what's happening in the world, and the answer, the rich get richer and everybody else doesn't. To say that two-thirds of the new wealth, and by the way, new wealth simply means output of goods and services. That's what real wealth is, represented by claims, paper claims on that wealth, which include cash and uh, securities and all of the other ways that we symbolize the wealth that we've actually created. But to say that two-thirds of the wealth went to the 1% richest people means that those people, the 1% richest amongst us, who easily and obviously are the ones who need more wealth the least, got the most. And the 90% or 99% of the rest of us who clearly need wealth literally to get by in the case of hundreds of millions of us who need it the most got the least. In other words, this system is crazy. This system is upside down. This system violates the basic morality that almost every religion gives lip service to, that we are all equal in God's eyes, if that's how they see it. We are all human beings, born, live, and die We all have the same basic needs for food, shelter, clothing, connections to other people, and all the rest of it. But in this system, we pretend that somehow it doesn't matter that the overwhelming bulk of the wealth we all produce together should end up owned by the richest ones amongst us. And we don't seem to even mind at a time when the pandemic, the last two and a half years, showed us how vulnerable we all are to the end of our lives, the crippling illnesses that last for a long time for many of us. When we're all threatened as human beings, we still persisted in a system and endorsing that system that treats us so unequally and denies so many of us all of the pleasures and enjoyments and basic necessities that are part of life. One last point. As a professional economist, and I'm going to use uh, my classmate Janet Yellen's name once again. As a product of the American education system, Janet Yellen and I, At the same university, Yale University, Janet Yellen and I, we both were taught, and Janet Yellen has said this repeatedly, that it is worrisome if the goods and services that we all together produce end up being owned only by the tiny sliver of the richest amongst us. She has expressed concern that that is in the short and long run unworkable undesirable, unsustainable, socially dangerous. And I have no reason to doubt that Janet Yellen meant it. But the problem is when the leaders like her speak that way, 
they seem to be oblivious year in and year out that these expressions of concern go nowhere, have no result, do not undo the pattern as the latest statistics from Oxfam make so clear. And then they don't therefore ask themselves the question, why if well-intentioned people like myself, why would Janet Yellen not say, if we mean it, if we say it, why does nothing happen to change it so that we're saying it year in and year out? The answer, of course, is the answer they can't face, that what you say, what you believe, what you commit to as something that matters to you makes no difference if the underlying economic system works at cross purposes, works in a different direction. The reason people ought to be critical of capitalism is right there, that it produces outcomes that even the leaders of the system don't want, don't like, worry about, criticize, but they can't deal with the fact well, what they're up against is that there's a system at work here. And as an economist, let me describe it so it doesn't remain vague. Every businessman or woman, whether or not they've graduated from a master of business administration program before they became the CEO or whatever position they reached, learned that the point and purpose of a business is to make a profit. In economic classes that I've taught as well as learned from, we were told how to understand profit maximization as the bottom line, as the number one priority. Okay, let's take them at their word. That's what they believe, and that's what they do when they run their businesses, small, medium, or megacorp. Well, then let's see. Profits are not the income that goes to the vast majority of people. The vast majority of people are employees. They live off of an income which we call wages and salaries. Profits go to other people. They go to the shareholders of the company, the owners of the company, the CEO and the top executives running the company. Therefore, if the system maximizes profit, and proudly declares that, we have no reason to be surprised, as you rightly put it, Brian, that the profits being maximized mean that the bulk of the wealth beyond wages and salaries goes to those who profit, the shareholders, the big ones, not the people who own four shares, but the people who have a block of shares, the top executives, the people they hire to be their assistants, that's the top. It collects there, not because those folks are or are not greedy, but because the system works that way. It fills up the profit earners first and foremost. And therefore, even if on July 4th or any other day of the year, these leaders of capitalism tell us how they are distressed by an unequal distribution of income and wealth, well, we ought to be, 
how should I say this politely, we can sneer a little because they are deluding themselves and trying to delude the rest of us. The system is set up to have this result. And if we really don't want a society torn apart as ours is now, among other things, because of the grotesque inequality we suffer, if we really mean it, then we have to become critics of capitalism or else we're just not serious. Richard, I, in preparation for today's show, I was doing a little bit of research, and so I entered the search term on the internet. How many billionaires are there in the world? And so I got the answer, a couple thousand. The U.S. has the largest number of billionaires, 735. The second or third search item that came up when I put in that those words for my search was this, how to become a billionaire. And I thought, <laughs> oh, wow, that's, yeah, let's find out how to, how to do it. And apparently, Richard, according to this, the third search listed in Google, there are seven things one can do to become a billionaire. Here's the headline, seven doable ways to become a billionaire. And here they are. One, invest in stocks and mutual funds. Number two, start your own business. Number three, purchase property in high value areas and rent it out. Four, create a product or service that is in high demand and has low competition. Five, create opportunities. Number six, find a high paying and stable job. Oh. And maintain your wealth is number seven. So, Richard, if people want to become a billionaire, all they have to do is follow these seven little tidbits. I mean, quite an important compass there. Yeah, you know, and I mean, again, I'm trying to stay polite because these things have a way of getting under my skin and getting me upset. So I'm not going to comment on the grotesque stupidity of whoever wrote those things up. But if you look at them in all seriously, the vast majority of people who do any one or more of those seven things don't become billionaires, and therefore that ought to be addressed as to how and why that might be the case. Even the person who put this silly list together knows that. Likewise, that person must know that the more money you have, the more you can do of any one or all of those seven things, which means that the real answer of how to be a billionaire is to have an enormous amount of money to start with, because that will enormously enhance. And if you look closely at most of the billionaires, that's the case. They had the requisite amount of money to break into one or another of these areas. And when you've parse that story out, then the rest of it is luck. And that's the honest answer, which, by the way, a few of these billionaires, when you talk to them, will readily say to you, the rest of them haven't got the honesty or the courage, or they're just not smart enough to see all of that. But it all reminds me of the magnificent film, if you've never seen it, starring the British comedian Peter Sellers filmed by now 20, 30 years old, maybe longer, but it's called Being There. And it's the story 
of how a mentally challenged gardener ends up becoming the president of the United States. And the point of the movie is the person who ends up being the president is the person who happened to be at the right time, at the right place, and so fell into the social position that the system creates. And it's a wonderful corrective to the lame effort of the people who sit at the top to try to convince the rest of us that somehow they deserve to be there and the rest of us don't. It's extraordinary. It violates everything we know about human history, but it's often persuasive because the people at the top have an enormously vested interest in spending a lot of money to get people to believe that because it's a way of making their extraordinary wealth safe. And safe from what? Safe from the envy, the bitterness, the rage of all of the rest of us that are kept out of the circle of what we could enjoy as a people. And the irony of ironies is that the very bitterness and envy is what shows up in all of the movements of fascism, in all of the movements of social disintegration that we're surrounded with now that frighten us, whether it be the Trump phenomena or white supremacy or the absurdity blaming of immigrants as if those poor folk from even poorer countries than we can imagine are a threat. They're not a threat. What is a threat are the conditions that make us invent the idea that poor immigrants or any of the other scapegoats that have been found are the root of our problem, rather than facing the system that provokes Oxfam, a very well-reputed English research institution, every year at around this time, January, to remind us with its latest statistics that we live in a system whose inequality and injustice keep getting worse. Richard, according to the Oxfam report and this wealth creation so-called report in particular, the World Bank, which said in October 2022 that it would not likely meet its goal of ending extreme poverty by 2030 as the COVID-19 pandemic slowed, also contrasts the accumulation of this amazing level of wealth by a very small handful of people. And then the seeming impossibility, which of course it's not impossible, but the seeming impossibility of meeting a goal to end extreme poverty in the world, a World Bank goal. Now, extreme poverty, by the way, for everybody, is defined by the World Bank and by the United Nations is for individuals who are earning less than $2 a day. So when we're talking about extreme poverty, that's what we mean by extreme poverty, less than $2 a day. We, the human family, can't meet that goal by 2030. Again, that's seven long years away. And at the same time, we can sort of nonchalantly recognize that all of this wealth, so much wealth, is accumulating at the very, very top. I mean, when we think about why there are so many poor people, Richard, it's because the rich people have all the money. And it's kind of maybe in a way that simple. 
It is that simple. It's always been that simple. There's a famous line, I think, from F. Scott Fitzgerald, and he's musing with another person, and they're musing on the question, how are the rich people different from us? And the answer that uh, Scott Fitzgerald puts in his character is, oh, that's easy. They have more money. In other words, it's not that they're different and therefore they're rich. It's that they, the system makes the rich and therefore they need desperately to persuade everybody else and them that there's a reason for this, that it makes sense. Look, the statistic you just quoted, here's the, the way to say in the English language what that means. The richest people amongst us, the top 1%, became trillions dollar richer while several hundred million more people on this earth shrank or fell into the rank of the extreme poor. That is, they couldn't get more than $2 a day to live on. We live in a system, global, whose politics, whose idea of what's rational, whose religious commitments to decency allow the richest to become much richer while hundreds of millions of people are added to the ranks of those living below $2 a day. You better come up with some rationale for that because it will not survive. And the society that allows that system to be its economic foundation, that's a society heading for the Dust heaps of history. It isn't a question of weather. It's only a question of when. Richard, last point. The Oxfam report, as usual, has what they call a solution or certainly a, what they hope will be a mitigating element to this extreme disparity in wealth. And their, their solution is taxes must be increased for the ultra-rich as a, and here it is, quote, strategic precondition to reducing inequality and resuscitating democracy. That quote is attributed to Gabriella Bouchard, executive director of Oxfam International in this report. I want to ask you your opinion on this. I mean, one, yes, taxing the ultra-rich makes perfect sense. At one time, the taxes paid were at least in the United States, shortly after World War II, much, much higher, which, you know, if wealth is highly taxed, it disincentivizes getting more and more and more annual income because it's going to be taxed and that money can be available to society. So in one sense, it makes it makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, that's not the trend. The trend is actually in the opposite direction. We could see that with Donald Trump. I mean, big parts of the capitalist establishment were dubious about Trump, but then when he did that wealth transfer, $2 trillion in transfer with his so-called tax reform, they started to like Donald Trump. They were like, yeah, he's weird, but he's doing the right thing. <laughs> anyway, what's the likelihood, the feasibility of taxes as the solution? And the other solution, we start every show by saying we need a new system. That's our tagline. It seems to us that's the solution. Anyway, you get the final word. Very quickly, I think you've provided the core of it. If what you look for is taxes, you have two problems. 
you are a reformer. You're going to reform the tax system and you are going to try to get the richest people to pay some more in taxes. Here are your two problems. Through at least the last two centuries, efforts to do that have been overwhelmingly unsuccessful. On rare occasions, you have been able to do that. The most important in the last 100 years of our country were the Great Depression, when the inequality was reduced and when some taxes on some rich people went up, as you rightly say. But here comes then the second problem. The minute through much struggle, and we, we really struggled in the 1930s, real class struggle, through much struggle, if you're able on rare occasion to get a reform through, like higher taxes on the rich, what you've done is to incentivize the rich people to come back at you, to undo what you did, to use the wealth they have to undo the tax you put on the wealth. And what the historical record shows us, starting immediately when the taxes were first imposed on the rich in the 30s, they have ever since been undone, culminating in the story you told about Trump's tax cut that passed the Congress in December of 2017. So what you're doing is choosing a target, raising taxes on the rich, that are very hard to achieve, that has taken decades to win occasionally, only to see them lost in the aftermath. The 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s of the last century were the undoing of the tax reforms of the Great Depression in the 1930s. Even when we get the reform, we then proceed to lose it. And why? Because the rich have the money to go in there and buy the politicians to get the laws changed, to reverse the taxes. No, no. We have to change the system. And what that means is you've got to put the distribution of wealth into the hands of the people as a whole to be democratically decided who gets what portion of it. In other words, rather than coming after an unequal distribution to try to fix it, to reverse it with a tax and so on, why don't you do the really important thing? Prevent the unequal distribution in the first place by creating a different way of organizing and running enterprises in which profit is no longer the dominant concern, partly because other things are just as important as profit in running a business, and for the most important reason, because you're going to distribute the revenues generated by a business in an equal or nearly equal way, not in the crazy inequality way of the capitalist system. That's what real change, that's what it would mean. And whether you call it revolution or not really is secondary. It's understanding that if you don't change the arrangement, make the distribution in the first place equal, and you won't have to tear your society apart by redistributing what you shouldn't have distributed unequal. I give a little story at the end of my lectures in the university to make this clear. You're a parent. You're taking your two kids to the park. And in the park, there's a vendor of ice creams. And the children want one, of course. And so you take them over there and you order two ice creams from the vendor. And you hand the two ice creams to one of your children. 
immediately a crisis happens. The other child feels hurt, feels denied, feels excluded, feels lesser. And then in a flash, you recognize because you're a decent person, you just made a big mistake. So you prevail upon the child to whom you gave the two ice creams, give one to your sibling over there. And that makes that one feel bad. You've just learned hopefully a lesson far better than the scars left and the conflicts created by a bad distribution of wealth in the first place, then fixed by an effort at redistribution. Far better parenting would have distributed the two ice creams, one to each child in the first place. It's exactly the same with distributing the wealth created by all of us to us in a reasonable, fair way, rather than ripping ourselves apart to correct a maldistribution by social struggles over redistribution. Basic idea, capitalism can't do it. Today, we have been talking with Professor Richard Wolf about the obscenity of billionaire wealth. You can hear Richard every week on this program, the Socialist Program. Be sure to become a patron and show your support by going to patreon.com forward slash the Socialist Program. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.